for Jesus. Amen. Come on, have a seat real quick. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. Hey, real quick, let's get into this thing. Um, first off, this is SUM. Hallelujah. Near and dear to my heart, I happen to be the SUM alumni president uh, for the School of Urban Missions. Uh, we are uh, forming, uh, we have formed, and we are formulating some great plans to help those that graduate from SUM and become alumni. Uh, we're formulating these plans to help them to go forward in their call, God, that God puts on them individually. We want to help you get internships. We want to help you get to the nations God's called you to get to. We want you to understand that the alumni is here. We're, we're just kind of organizing, getting some things in place, and some of you are going to be graduating and probably, how many are graduating this year? Anybody in here? Okay, next year, 2012. Raise your hand if you're going to graduate then. Amen? Come on by faith if you need to. Amen? <laughs> but, yeah, so by 2012, we hope that to really have some really great impl- implementation of some things. And, uh, and so just get excited. And do me, do me a favor as an SUM student, stay, uh, stay in prayer for our Alumni Association because after you graduate, it's not over. Amen? That's when it really begins. That's when the journey really starts. I'm not saying you're not, what you're doing is insignificant, not at all. Amen? But what I'm saying to you is that the, the alumni is going to be there. It's going to be a powerful force. We've got alumni, and I know you probably have heard of uh, Sister Tisa and her husband that are down in Africa uh, just shaking and baking for the Holy Ghost. Amen? And I know you know of all, all the other graduates, Brother Corey and, and uh, Brother Dave Wallace. and uh, We've got just so many great people in ministry and just want you to understand that there are great opportunities for you but we need we need you to stay engaged finish your school do it well and just jump right in with us at the alumni okay well let's 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 do something let's pray for just a real quick second i know our time is going to go quick but i wanted i wanted to show you something i wanted to minister something to you real quickly uh so i'm going to show you a video let's pray first show you the video and then i'm going to talk from my heart to you father in jesus name lord this next brief few minutes, God, I believe you can do so much, God. God, I believe there's still clarification that needs to be done, Lord God. And so, Father, I just speak to you, God, as a son to a father, and I ask you, God, here's my brothers and sisters. We're all here, God, and we just really want to touch from your holy presence. We ask you, God, to sow into us, God, your word, your encouragement, God, and your revival power in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, watch this video real quick with me. The greatest thing was being on stage and having the control, the awe of being worshipped and having folks just really look at you and say, wow, you know, I want to be that. As leader of a heavy metal band, Kirk Martin projected an angry, wild image on stage. And getting just thousands of people to scream profanities, that was the biggest rush for me. Off stage, people just found him mean. I was so filled with hate that I, I would project that hate in a lot of people. Two of the, the band members, when we were on the road, just decided they were just sick of me and they couldn't take me anymore. And they actually decided to leave the band. But the message in Kirk's music captured the minds of his young audience. My whole intention was to tell people to believe in yourself, follow your own visions, your own dreams, and crush whoever's in your way. Kirk had no illusions about where his growing success came from. I got on the ground and I clawed the earth. I told Satan, I said, if you give me what I want, if you make me a god, if you give me the women and the drugs and the fame and and everything, and you give me the power to crush people, 
I will serve you until the end of time. Within two days, I was offered a recording contract. While Kirk pushed for fame and fortune, he tried to keep a secret bottled up inside. A couple of older boys in the neighborhood started molesting me and sodomizing me when I was probably about eight. It uh, happened more than once, and I never talked about it. I never, I never told anybody about it. Later, taking advantage of women sexually became part of Kirk's heavy metal lifestyle. The worst part about my molestation was the fact that I, in turn, went out and violated others. Then, just as he was about to sign the record deal for which he'd sold his soul, he had an encounter with a mysterious stranger. One morning at about 9 o'clock, I went into a small cafe, and this guy came and sat down right across from me. Out of all the places he could have sat, there were plenty of seats open. And immediately I looked at him with this horrible, mean-looking look on my face, and I said, what's happening, Dad? And uh, he stopped stirring his coffee again and looked at me right in the face, and he said, what's happening, Dad? I jumped across the table and I put my nose right up to his, stared him in the eye and I just cursed him. I called him every foul thing I could think of. And he said, God sent me here to tell you that he loves you. And God wants you to know that he was not responsible for the young men that molested you when you were a young child. And the thing that was so mind-blowing about that is he used their names. And he said, Jesus is waiting for you to turn your face towards home. And I jumped up and chased after him, and he went around the corner of the building, and into thin air he disappeared. Not long after that, Kirk was sleeping in his band's tour bus when it shook violently in the middle of the night. Suddenly, it was like this big shining spotlight came down from heaven, and the Spirit of God Himself came into the bus. And, and, I, and I didn't know why I hated God so much. Everything just slipped away, and, and the only thing I felt was love. I felt, I felt accepted. I felt, I felt like I was that little boy again before I got molested. I said, Jesus, change me or destroy me because I don't want to be this anymore. I realize now that in the presence of God, sin and hate and, and ugliness can't there's no room for it it has to leave and all these things began to leave my my heart Kirk cried himself to sleep and when he woke up the next morning everything seemed different the grass was greener the sky was was fluffier the clouds were beautiful and and I was different Kirk never signed the contract for the heavy metal record deal I had everything in my hand everything I'd ever wanted just just sitting right there and all of a sudden, I, I didn't want it anymore. And I left everything and never went back. Kirk found a church in his hometown and began to grow as a Christian. A Christian counselor also urged him to seek out the young men who had molested him and forgive them. I did find him. I don't know if you remember me or not. And I said, why did you do this to me? And then they began to tell me the story of how someone had violated them. The one young boy... Uh, how, how he had found a pornography magazine and that's what led him to abuse me and then invite the other boy to abuse me. They had given their hearts to Christ. We sat down and we cried and we hugged and we talked about it and we prayed. That's how I got past all that. 
Over time, he found his musical talent moving in a new direction, writing and performing worship songs. He and his family travel around the country sharing the miracle that changed Kirk's life. My wife is just a treasure. My family is the greatest testimony of God's mercy and God's grace because I thought I would never have such a wonderful blessing. Once I started to realize that God wasn't out to get me, I, I started to see the blessings. I was addicted to drugs and sex and violence and hatred and, and used music as a tool to destroy people. And then God turned all that around for His glory. Praise God. Praise God. You know, within that testimony, I mean, I want to weep right now. You just feel the, just the compassion of God to reach out to this man through somebody who was hurt, that heard a word from God. You understand how important it is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit? I told you that discernment, the gift of discernment is so important in these last days because discernment lets you understand exactly what you're coming up against and what you need to do. Discernment, it, it, it's, it's more than just the discernment of spirits. I believe discernment of spirits is a specific gift. But I believe that on top of that, God gives us discernment, discernment upon the times. The Bible says that the, the, the sons of Issachar, uh, they knew the times of the day and they were able to advise Israel according to God's uh, holy plans because they understood the times. They understood they could discern what season it is. Sometimes the season is to be quiet and don't mention anything. Just love on people. Amen? But other times there is a confrontational anointing that gets on you. And I don't mean like getting in a fight with somebody, but directly telling them out of the love of God that your concern for their soul is outweighing your love for them. Amen? Look, and out of your love for them, you cannot keep silent anymore. Amen? So what I'm trying to get you to understand that this whole event in this man's life took place because somebody got a word of knowledge, specific words of knowledge, that a man that would never set foot in a church, probably wouldn't even set foot in a church. He might even burn a church if he had a chance to. Okay? His whole lifestyle was shattered by a word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. His whole life was shattered by a word. You know, God gives us, as you're turning there, just listen. As God gives us opportunities in life, you know, we all want revival. What, what is revival? Revival is really, you know, if you use the dictionary terminology for it, it's a heightened time where people pay more attention to their religious experiences. What revival? I mean, that's just my using my just simple what I've gleaned from several different dictionaries. It's just a heightened time, a uh, 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 time span where people pay attention to their religious experiences, where they don't neglect their religious experience. Okay, and don't get me wrong, I, I, religion. I'm not using that in our terminology. You know, we don't have a religion; we have a relationship. Okay, well, that's all catchphrase anyway. So. Throw it out the way. I'm talking about your experience with Jesus, amen? It becomes back to the center where it's always supposed to be, amen? Revival. And so in, in our lives, in our spiritual journey, if you will, as, excuse me, in our, our spirit beings, in our human journey, if you will, we have been given these vehicles. Say vehicles. What are vehicles? Vehicles are things that take you to destinations. We have things in our 
Christianity or in our human journey that God used us to get us to certain destinations. And the funny thing about it is the devil is always a copycat. And he has opportunity to use vehicles to drive people to destinations. And the ultimate destination is that they're bound for hell. The party boat is sailing, but sooner or later, later the, the typhoon is going to hit it. It's going to hit the iceberg, and the Titanic is going to sink. But God gives us vehicles. Say vehicles. God gives us vehicles to propel our revival experiences in Him. Our, you know, we, we have this close times with God. And how do we get there? Sometimes we walk in a place and we don't have any sense of God at all. And other times we walk in a place and we have this unbelievable sense of God. You know, when what we've been experiencing has been unbelievable. Like, for example, worship is a vehicle to get you to a destination that destination is God's presence, God's throne room. Amen? Worship, when I mean worship specifically, music worship. Worship through music. What happens to people is they worship the vehicle rather than getting in the vehicle. And when it's time to get out of the vehicle and arrive at the destination, they'd rather drive around in the vehicle and enjoy the ride. Careful in your walk with Christ that you don't just ride around. You've got to come to a destination. He's only using these experiences to bring you to a place. You have got to come to a place in Him. And He chooses different vehicles. Sometimes, like this man, it's words. Words are a vehicle. Words can be like a rocket ship. Amen? If you can get somebody in a word, someone say, in a word. If you can get somebody in a vehicle, say in a vehicle, you can blast them off of the planet that they're living in. Some of them are living, living on Pluto, amen? They're living on some fringe universe that doesn't even exist, and, and it's, it's just some fantasy land. But with the right word that was spoken in the right season and in the right time, we can see God change people's lives. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's a very familiar uh, scripture verse. For the word of God is living. Someone shout living. And powerful. Someone shout powerful. And sharper. Someone shout sharper. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see that? The word, not just my word or your word, but specifically the word of God. This translation, this biblical uh, 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 passage of scripture, whatever whatever you want to you want to phrase it as, whatever your terminology is, the text, the scriptures, uh, whatever you want to call it, the real in essence, the real true word of God the Bible is talking about here. And when you speak from this, not from this, and not even from this, but when you speak from this, that's when you get to display what this verse is talking about. To have that, 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 that word of God that is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts apart. What is it? Soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. What is it saying? It cuts away the flesh. It cuts away the soul. And it exposes the spirit. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes we get all feely-feely about it, and it's nothing to do with the truth. It has everything to do with our 
joints and marrow, our bones and flesh. It has everything to do with this case that we're walking around in. This is a vehicle. Take care of your vehicle. But don't worship your vehicle. Your body is a, is a temple of, of God. But we don't worship a building. We don't worship a place. We worship the person whom that place was erected for. You that do not worship in spirit and in truth. I said this at the retreat. I'm saying it again. If you don't worship God, you forfeit your reason for existence. You have got to get to a place where worship, what I mean worship, is worship your devotion, your, 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 your total focus in life. Amen? All that you are is poured into something or poured onto something. Amen? And so words are experiences. Come on, think about it. When I say holy, to some it's just a word. Holy or holiness. I mean, you have some different definitions. And I go around the room, everybody has a different definition of what that word means. Words mean different things to different people. And if I say holy, and I, it's, some of you think it's an achievement. Some people look at words as some kind of certificate that you get, and you put it on the wall like you've arrived. When, is, when are you going to be satisfied when you get to preach in, 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 in a, a crowd of 300 when you get to preach in a crusade of 5,000? When you get to preach in your first stadium? Does that mean that now you are a preacher? Now you officially get a certificate that you can put on the wall and say, I'm called? Words are not something that you hang on the walls. Words are not something, something that you could, just, you, could, you could set a goal at. The words are a vehicle that bring you to a destination. And any time God wants to get you back in the vehicle, get back in the vehicle. Don't arrive at a destination and just stay there. Because that's the thing. It's always, you know, the catch-22 is, one, you don't want to worship the vehicle. And, two, you don't want to stay at the destination when the vehicle has come back to take you to another destination. And you've got those types of Christians and those types of preachers there. Preachers that don't want any more of God. They've got enough. They've got enough to control. They've got a crowd as big as they want to handle. They don't want to get any bigger. They don't want to get any. They don't, and they definitely don't want to get any smaller. And that's when they start to erode their theology. Do not erode your theology to accommodate a crowd size. Words are vehicles. I remember. Getting words of knowledge, I mean, getting words of knowledge, specifically people's names that I've never met before. Not because I'm so awesome, but because God's grace and gift is so powerful. And I just happened to get in a vehicle. And he brought me to a place. Van drives up onto the church lawn while I'm setting up for VBS. Literally comes inches away from running me down with his car. The minute that he did and I jumped out of the way, God spoke immediately to me about this specific person. He said, this man is going to lie to you. He's going to ask you for money for gas so he can go to work. But it's a lie. He lost all of his money last night gambling. And what 
he didn't lose gambling, the woman that he was in bed with last night snuck early in the morning, took the rest of his money out of his pockets, and if he gets money for gas, he'll find her in the street and run her down and kill her. Now go and tell him. All that in a split second. He gave me the whole, that, does, that rarely happens for me. It usually happens in the, in the journey. I'm, all, I'm in the vehicle. God's telling me, get in this vehicle. This is where you're going. I stepped around the side and I said, sir, you, you almost hit me. And he said, pastor, pastor, I'm so sorry. But listen, I've got to get to work. And I knew you were over here and I wanted to see if I could get some money from you. And I had never met this guy in my life. This ain't a guy that I had been witnessing to. This isn't a guy that I... This, I never met him in my life. And he gives me the story, just like the Holy Ghost told me, and that he's got to get to work. If he doesn't, have, he doesn't have enough gas to get to work, and if he doesn't get to work, he's going to get fired. I look right back at him, and I say word for word what God told me. You know what he does? He begins to blaspheme God and curse me out in my face. Now I've got a choice. Either I can keep going on this thing or I can back off and say, man, I just made that up. But see, there's these things that happen to you as a man or a woman of God. I like to call them the unexplainables in the gut. I cannot explain it, but I got a gut feeling what I'm saying is 100%, 100% bona fide. I'm going to get back to the story in a minute. But listen, there have been times where I have prophesied over people. And then I ask them to confirm it, and they deny it publicly. And privately, they come back to me, and they tell me what you said was right. And I definitely rebuke them because they didn't give God the honor or the glory. And because they were bound up in pride, they couldn't admit that's what God was saying. You've got to go with the gut. Amen? You've got training wheels on here, guys. They're here for a reason. But if you're not riding the bike to the destination, if you're not taking your vehicle to the destination, you've got men of God here. You've got professors here. You've got people that love God and love you, and they want the best for you. Some of you have never been told no for anything in your life. And the first thing that you're going to need to hear is no for some things. You need, to be, you need to be shaved back. You need to be cut back. You need to be pruned. You need to take dis- discipline. You need to take it because it is a vehicle to get you to the destination. There are strict parameters here. Why? Because God knows your failures. God knows your weaknesses. And maybe you can handle being alone with that person in your mind, but maybe it's not today that he's seeing. Maybe he's seeing the three months when you keep letting down that standard a little lower, a little lower, a little lower, a little lower, until you're in the back seat with the bump and grind, regretting it, wrecking the call of God that's on your life. Now, instead of being able to walk in fullness and power of the Holy Ghost, you've got to walk under this banner of guilt and condemnation because you knew that you disappointed God and you knew that you were not supposed to be there had you just been obedient to the leaders and the elders and the people that gave. They're they're there for a reason. They're there for safety. Put yourself at this moment in season under strict discipline. I would even go further than what the discipline is on me. If the curfew's at 11, I'd make it 10. Seriously. 
Why? Because I would say, God, I don't even be close to the boundary. Because if I got a flat tire or for any reason that there's a, you know, that I don't want to even be close to that thing. Why? Because you're in such an opportune season for the pluckings of the devil. You know how history is littered with men and women of God with a call of God on their life who are now who pu- pushing pizzas, who are now, uh, and listen, I'm not degrading their, their lifestyle. I'm saying that they could have had God in the kingdom of God in its fullness. History is littered with men and women who fought, fell into sin and wrecked the call of God. They're shipwrecked. Some of them walked with Jesus. Some of them walked with Paul. So if they walked with Jesus and Paul and shipwrecked their faith like that, Paul was begging at the end, I don't want to become one of those that shipwrecked. If Paul, the great man of faith and power that we know him to be, a man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, could be concerned about a shipwreck on his life, why shouldn't you and I also go that direction as well? We've got to understand that this season... The call of God on your life is so uh, precious. It's like a little flame on a candle. And Satan is trying every bit of whirlwind to throw into your life. He'll use your family. He'll use those that are closest to you. He'll use those that you wouldn't see it coming from. And remember, it's not the people. It's the spirit. Principalities use personalities. And principalities use principles. That's how they operate. They get a person, a personality, that they know that you are weak towards. And I don't just mean sexually, but I definitely mean sexually. But I mean that you cannot be in the same room with them because you get so mad at the... They they, they rub their eyebrow too many times for you. They, they try to straighten out their nostril. Whatever. They, they just rub you the wrong way. It's like the devil comes in and he magnifies all their faults for you. And then instead of bearing with them and realizing if I look in my own mirror, I've got some myself, you begin to criticize and judge. Then you begin to compare yourself against them. And the principalities use principles. What am I talking about? They operate, and I'll tell you the two chief dominant principles that are still in operation, even though we should have left the kingdom of darkness a long time ago and entered into the principles of God. Two of the chief principles that are still in operation in a lot of our lives, including even sometimes my own, is manipulation and intimidation. And let me tell you something. The Bible says that manipulation and intimidation is a form of witchcraft. We manipulate because we knew as a little boy or girl how to get what we wanted. And we would throw that fit or we would do that thing until we we could give our daddy or our mommy that look. And so we utilize manipulation to get what we want. I'm not saying God didn't want it, but maybe he didn't want you to go that route. Maybe you shortcut yourself and you lose the best. Because let me tell you something. You guys are gold mines. Not pieces of gold, gold mines. And you're not just one. You see, when you refine one area of your life, there's still a whole bunch more junk in there that needs to be refined. And if you shortcut the plan of God 
through manipulation, you shortcut the refining process. So instead of being 24 karat gold, you're not even 10 karat gold. Which one shines more? Which one is more valuable? Which one will last more? Which one is more moldable? It's manipulation and intimidation. When you can get your way by sticking out your chest, raising your voice, when you can get your way by, by, by crowding people into a corner and bullying them into doing things that you want them to do, you have missed God. You have missed God. I'm talking about saved friends and unsaved friends. When you throw condemnation on people, you're using principles not of the kingdom of God. You're using principles that have been installed in your life through principalities. That's how the world operates. We don't do things the world's way. We don't tell little white lies. All lies are evil. All lies end up in the lake that burns with fire if they're not repented of. If you lie just a little bit, you have shortcut yourself through the refining process of God. Because what it says is when you lie to get out of something or give an excuse, some people call excuses, or some people call lies, they really call them excuses, but they're just lies. Lies that make you feel better. Because if you were to own up and say, I was lazy and I didn't do or didn't value what I was supposed to be doing, then you would have to stop that behavior or you'd have to admit that you were a slothful person. Look at, look at me here. I had no responsibility to be at my church, nothing. I didn't have a key to the building. And I was in the parking lot of my church praying for the service before the pastor even got there. I could get so excited when I saw those two little lights of his, his Toyota uh, station wagon coming down the drive because I knew it was on, amen. And I was right there. I was warming the door handle for him, amen. And I pulled that thing open, and I let him go on to his office, and I said, bless Bless Pastor. Bless you, Pastor. I'm going to be in here. And he said, just pray. Man, I got so crazy, crazy in the Holy Ghost. You know those little chairs that got little end caps on them? I get so crazy in the Holy Ghost, I'd pull them off, speak in tongues, and put it back on top of it. I'd lay oil all over the seats, and I would pray. And then people would start to show up, and then we would start to pray. And we had a group of people that started to come in to pray. I didn't have any responsibility. I didn't even know I was called of God at that time. All I knew is that I wanted to be where God wanted me to be. Don't give excuses of why you're not there. Just be there. Sacrifice. Cost your life. I said it. I said the difference between a prostitute and a wife is one you pay a price for. The other one, you give your life for it. I'm giving my life for my family. I'd lay down my life for my wife and my kids. I'd take the bullet. I'd take the torture. I'd take the death sentence. I'd sit in the electric chair for them. Are you willing to do that for the call of God that he's put on your life? Not even the call of God. Because if you lost it all and you even lost the call of God, could you still say, I'm going to do it for Jesus? Words are vehicles. And God's given words. Now this man, he denied that what I said was true. And I went on and I said, no, not only that, but you were smoking crack and you were high and you were drunk last night. And you couldn't even remember when that woman was digging through your pockets and left. And you're trying to run her down in the road. 
listen, this is a racially divided area in Louisiana. Whites don't like blacks, and blacks don't like whites. And this man is shouting and cussing the pastor to the top of his lungs with people sitting on their porches and watching the new pastor that's white trying to plant a church in the black section of town. That's just not popular. He was making a scene. He said, what are you doing here, white boy? Listen, cracker, you don't belong here. This is our city. This is our part of the city. Be around these, all these black folks, man. What's wrong with you? And he grabbed his little panties off the floorboard. You know what I saw? His hands started to shake. And it wasn't from drugs. But once some more, he was shaking under the fear because the presence of God was hitting him because the word had gone in him so deep. Gathered his little 13 pennies off the floor, went to the back of his little uh, trunk and grabbed a little uh, uh, a gas container and started walking. And the Holy Ghost said, walk with him. I said, you're crazy? He said, no, you're crazy, Tyrone. Now go. I started walking with him. He was on one side of the street. I was on the other side of the street walking down the road, and I was blessing him with the love of God. I said, why do you want to do, do this? Why don't you just give your life to Jesus today? He was cussing me out the whole way, angrier and angrier. Every step that I took, he was looking at me like, what are you going to do? He was, I mean, I, I don't know if he had a rock. He probably would have thrown it at me. I don't know what he would have done. But he kept on walking. He was so dumbfounded, and he was covering it up in his anger. And we finally got to the gas station. I said, man, I'll put some gas in your, in your little can for you. And he said, he just mumbled something, cussed at me, and he walked around the back of the store to relieve himself. Went in, paid for the little 250 in gas that I put in that can. And when he walked back around the building, he was like a little lamb. Quiet as a mouse. Head hanging down. Carried his gas can and we started walking back. We got across the street. He began to cry as we were walking. And he looked at me and said, everything you said was true. Every single thing you said was true. He said, I just moved back here about three months ago from California. I came home to take care of my mama. She's sick. I was in Bible college in Los Angeles. But I had to come home to take care of her. And when I came home, I was good for a couple of weeks, but then my old friends started coming around, and I started giving in, and now I, here I am. I've messed up. You know what we did? We knelt there, right there in the street, as he gave his life back to Jesus Christ. All from a word that God gave him. Friend, I'm telling you, there are people that will never enter into a church building. They've been hurt or offended. In some way, the devil's twisted, thinking that the church is some kind of attacking mechanism because there's churches that don't know how to love people and love God. I thank God for this church, and I thank God for SUM students that understand it's not about head knowledge. You can be a little sponge and soak it all in and still not know how to do it. You've got to walk according to the Spirit of God. I don't have much time. I don't want to take any more of your time. I just want to get God an opportunity to touch you. So let's just stand on our feet without any music playing. I just want you to understand that, that, that God wants to put some words in you because God's going to give you a vehicle to get to a destination. Your gifts are not to be worshipped. Preaching is not to be worshipped. 
Men are not to be worshipped. Your study of the Word is not to be worshipped. Theological debating styles are not to be worshipped or coveted. Friend, I'm telling you, God said in His Word to worship Him in spirit and in truth because He was looking for that kind of a person. Everything that you're chasing as a Bible college student probably at this stage in your life, I'm not taking a, taking a judgmental statement, I'm just saying generally, everything that you're chasing or trying to be is simply a byproduct of being in God's presence. You're chasing a byproduct. Be a great preacher or prophesy or use mightily in the gifts to be a good singer or play, a, play an instrument. Those are all byproducts of serving Him and coming in His presence. When Moses went up on the mountain, come on, keep your eyes closed. To open your heart, I'm telling you, God is speaking. When Moses went up on a mountain and stayed into the presence of God, for such a time as when he came off the mountain, his face began to glow because of the illumination that God put upon him. Just what did God paint him? Did God stick out some glow paint on him or did he put, put some stickers on? No. It just happened naturally because he was so long in the presence of God. Stop chasing after the byproducts. Stop worshiping the vehicles that are going to get you to destinations. Stop worshiping the destinations. When I get my church, when I hold my services, when I get my revival, when I do my conference, when I write my book, when I teach my class, friends, those are all admirable things. I'm not denigrating them in any way, but when you begin to worship them above the God that they're they're seeking to that you're seeking to serve, that these giftings and things are in place for his pleasure, for his ability to take people to destinations. It's you that we want, Lord. It's you that we want. You and you alone, Lord. We agree with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We agree with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Friend, if you've idolized any gift, I want you to repent of it right now. If you've idolized a position or a title that could be attached to your name, I want you just to repent of it right now. Father, restore the church. Restore the men and women of God. Restore the five-fold ministry the way you intended it, Lord. Father, don't let us raise up any kind of a hireling God. Father, don't let us raise up anybody that would merchandise the gospel. 
But God, let us raise up true sons and daughters of the faith that have stake in their father's business. That everything they seek to do, they do it because the father told them. Because they seek to please the father. It's born out of sonship and daughterhood. Being a pastor or being a preacher or being a worship leader is just an assignment. It's not a purpose. It's not your purpose. To be an apostle or a church planter, it's not your purpose. That's your assignment. Father, I thank you for these moments before you in your presence, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, the words that were spoken, God, and especially this video, Lord God, that as we watched it, God, and we saw just how awesome and how wonderful, God, that you can conduct the orchestra of life. Lord, we give you permission to play upon our heartstrings today, O oh God, the song that you want to be sung. Lord, we ask you that our lives would please you, Lord God. Hide us, God, in the cross. Hide us with the blood of Jesus covering us on every side. And Lord, we ask you, God, to use us mightily, God. Give us keys to vehicles, Lord, that will take us to the destinations you've assigned us to go. Lord, I pray in the holy name of Jesus, Lord, that when I come back in this place, if God privileges me to be back here, Lord, that I'll hear great and mighty testimonies of the mighty usage of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, I, th- I pray furthermore, Lord God, that I'll hear greater testimonies of people finding their purpose and walking in that purpose, Lord. I bless you and I thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you for that word. Uh, If you guys can uh, be seated for just a little bit.